Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your hosts, Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. This is episode number 77. As we continue our study in the book of Acts, we will be in chapter 7 as we talk about Stephen uh, as he gives his speech or his sermon uh, before the Jewish people, especially the leaders. Good morning, Dakota. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, I'm ready for this episode. This is one of the longest, if not the longest, sermon in the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to be dealing with 53 verses here in this passage. One thing that we've been doing the last two episodes is we've identified that the church has grown because the church has selected spirit-filled deacons um, so that the word can continue to be advanced. And then the next episode that we dealt with in the second half of chapter 6 was uh, Stephen really being lied about and being persecuted before the Jewish council. So now we get to his sermon, and he's ready to preach to his people, right? We ended last week with his face turning like the face of an angel. So we're about to hear what he has to say, and I'm excited for the passage. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, come before the Lord in prayer as we prepare to read and talk about God's Word. Father, uh, bless this podcast and our discussion as we look at what Stephen has to say, what you gave him to say, Lord, um, when it came to uh, proclaiming your name, that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, and that is who he is following. So be with us this morning as we study. Uh, I pray for all of our listeners that this would equip them, that this would prepare them for discipleship, one-on-one Bible reading uh, with somebody in their life, whether that's their family somebody in their church or just uh, somebody that they're sharing the gospel with, but that they would be encouraged, that they would keep going, that they would finish the race, uh, that they would stay in prayer uh, with you, Lord, uh, as they continue their walk. Uh, Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's jump right into it. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. We're going to read that section first, and we're going to take a pit stop. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living, But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge. (laughs) Excuse me. I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place or worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan in great affliction with it. And our fathers could could find no food. 
But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. So 1 through 16, I think, you know, what he's doing is he's walking you from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's 12th son, or excuse me, 11th son, Joseph, and then uh, really the persecution he received from his brothers and why he was in Egypt, all of that jazz, right? And then the protection of his family in Egypt. He, he starts with uh, the history found in the book of Genesis. Yeah, so how do you how do you think the leaders would be taking this history lesson from Stephen? You know, just the I mean, his audience should clearly know uh, sure. all of these things. So, so we're gonna I mean, this will build, and we'll see the purpose um, of what Stephen's doing. But think about these first few moments of them looking at Stephen, going, "Okay, like, yeah, we know these things. Like, why would you be telling us again? Why are you reminding us of this? Right? Um, almost." I could see them disgusted um, at the fact that Stephen would even bring this stuff up. So it's not like Stephen is is coming in soft. <laughs> I right. think he's actually, uh, they're being offended uh, at this moment because of the history lesson, something that Pharisees, these men who are highly educated, should already know. Yeah, I mean, um, just something I'm doing right now with my Bible is I'm kind of looking, a word that keeps popping up like in the midst of his sermon, just to start here, is the word father or fathers. Like in verse 2, he starts with saying this, Hear me, brethren and fathers. Meaning it's a respectful term for those who are a higher generation, older than you, right? Um, There was no word for grandfather in the Hebrew. So when he says fathers, it's just something you call your grandfather and your great-grandfather, all of that. Then again, you have it in verse 4. Then in verse 6, you at least have descendants. Then Abraham became the father of Isaac, and then Isaac became the father of Jacob. Verse 9, you have the word patriarchs. Verse 12, you have the word fathers. And I haven't made my way all the way to verse 16 yet, but, well, verse 15 says fathers as well. I think he's appealing to a, a generation in the nation of Israel who they should know their history, and they should know the history of how they have responded to God when God is trying to do something among them, right? Um, a lot of people don't realize that the book of Genesis, you see God preserving the nation all over despite their rejection even from the beginning. Like even Abraham, you know, wrestles to believe. And then you have Judah, like who doesn't care about the family lineage. And then you have Reuben and Simeon and Levi and all these guys like, you know, they want to cast out Joseph and all these things. Like there seems to be like this rejection of the family lineage and the blessing of Abraham that God promised. Like not not a well-rounded reception, but a rejection. And in fact, it's kind of interesting to me that God chose Jacob over Esau. First of all, they were both just, you know, men of poor character. But what Jacob did have, despite his poor character at first, was he cared about the family lineage. 
at the very least, he cared about the blessing from God, right? And he even wrestled with God for it. So I think what you're finding is Stephen is beginning his sermon and he's appealing to them as fathers and he's appealing to the fathers of the past. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we know that Israel or the Jewish people would <coughs> highly respect and almost even put Abraham and, and we're going to get to Moses on a pedestal, a very high pedestal. Um, to the point of, yes, they believe in God, Yahweh, but at the same time, they talk a lot about Abraham and Moses. I mean, they're pretty high up there as heroes for them. And so I think we see Stephen appealing to what they value the most. Yeah. That is their history. Right. That is Abraham. That is um, Jacob. That is Joseph. That is Moses, as we're about to get to. So we see him building up Who's the most important to the Israelites? Mm-hmm. And these are these men. This is their history. And I think we're eventually we'll see where Stephen's going. But let's let's keep building and let's keep reading and see where Stephen is taking this. So we move from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus, essentially. Verse 17 all the way to 29. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. After he had been set aside or set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, or at this comment, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of of two sons. So 17 to 29, Kyle, what's your initial reaction there? Yeah, it's, you know, we continue to see, um, you know, the 400 years continue right. uh, here with, with Moses. Um, you know, Joseph is no longer there. Uh, a new Pharaoh has been put into place. Um, then we, we get the story of Moses's birth, right? Um, you know, him being saved, his mother, you know, putting him down the river, um, right. <laughs> being saved, and uh, and then being a part of uh, Pharaoh's house, uh, Pharaoh's daughter adopting him and bringing him in. So we still, even in the midst of a new Pharaoh taking over, Joseph gone, uh, Israel's essentially slaves <laughs> to Egypt. Yes. Now, God still puts an Israelite in the house of Pharaoh. Right. Like, we start to see, like, how much God is in control how much God oversees Israel, even in the midst of slavery, even in the midst of quarreling and fighting. Um, 
You know, they even Moses, you know, knows that he's who he is, he finds out who he is and and still tries to relate to Israel and then they still fight against him and don't see him as somebody who could help them and it's a very interesting place where they've they've almost just stopped looking to God um here. And so we see Moses um trying to trying to figure things out but then eventually leaving um and and leaving Egypt for a time 40 years we're going to find out and so but we still see God working through his people there's still a leader there's still somebody there God has orchestrating things God knows what he's doing and I think Stephen's showing how God is working through his people even in their disobedience even in times where they're quarreling amongst each other they're casting out again somebody that should be their leader right just like Joseph their brothers got rid of Joseph, and now we have the Israelites should have been recognizing Moses as a, as a type of savior, somebody who could help them, but no, they cast him out too. We don't want anything to do with you, Moses. You're part of Egypt. Get out of here. And he ends up leaving. You know, you made a great point about the emphasis of God. Uh, the first passage we were looking at, verses 1 through 16, I was looking at the emphasis of fathers, which is there, but there's another emphasis in contrast to the fathers, it's what's God doing in the text, right? So just if you're reading along with us in your Bible and you have it open, um, let's let's kind of just do a brief survey. What has God done up until this point, right? So verse 2, and he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. And then he says this, The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. That's one. Look in verse 6. You have another instance here. But God spoke to this effect that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land. So he's giving them a heads up, right? Yep. And then God says, I myself will judge that nation. I'll bring them out, so on and so forth. But then here we are in verse 9. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph. There's negative uh, aspects of the patriarchs. Sold him in Egypt. And then what does it say? Yet God was with him. (laughs) Like despite your own doing, yet God was with him. And then look again in verse 17, but as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, like just as God said, right? And then if you look again in verse 25, I think this is the most uh, apparent one that I've seen thus far. And he, being Moses, supposed, he just assumed, that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Man, it's like he is he's um, juggling two things right now. He keeps showing you the history of the forefathers, and he's showing you the history and the faithfulness of God despite the forefathers. So yeah, it's so interesting as Stephen's building this, really this theme of Israel, you didn't understand. Israel, you didn't understand. Israel, the, these saviors, right. per se, not big S savior, Jesus. No, yeah. But these saviors that God put there yeah. to to be there for you. Deliverers. You, you rejected. Right. Those who would deliver you. And and then what happens, what happens though? God still comes through even when you rejected him. Yeah. Because we still see that Joseph was a part of Egypt. Joseph still eventually welcomed his brothers, you know, and the second time revealed who he was and took care of them. They were reunited. Eventually Joseph dies. Now we get Moses. Moses then recognizes, hey, 
You should be happy that I'm here, Israelites. They reject him. Moses goes away. And now we're going to see God do something again. again. Yeah. So Moses is about to return to Egypt. We're going to look at verses 30 all the way to 43. Verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness on Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they disowned, (laughs) saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one or is the very one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. And angel of the Lord, many people think that was... Um, Jesus in the Old Testament, there's differing thoughts on that. But verse 36, this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers. He received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. At that time, they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing. The only time you see rejoicing thus far. Rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims or in sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Molech and the star of the god of Rampha, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Man. <laughs> it's building. It's becoming a little bit more tense. Yeah, I mean, we... We we move through a lot. We move through the Exodus like extremely quickly in a couple of verses. Yes. But what we do see here is that Moses was rejected once. He leads them out of Egypt, and we know the plagues, and we know the the Red Sea is split, and all these miracles, all these amazing things God does right in front of the people's eyes. They're led into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, Moses is spending time with God on Mount Sinai. Yeah. The people get restless, reject Moses again, essentially rejecting God. Yes, absolutely. So Moses then comes down. What happens? He gets mad, <laughs> right? Yeah. Breaks the tablets, <laughs> um, throws them down. Yeah. Um, and so we have this 
we Moses is at his wit's end. Uh, we know that he even disobeys God to the point where <laughs> he doesn't get to go into the promised land because of his anger. It's hard uh, to blame him. Yeah. I mean, he's not... <laughs> he was, how many times are you rejected even after you go in, listen yeah. to God, save them, rejected again while spending time with God? Uh, then your brother is down here not paying attention, <laughs> doing what he wants to do, not not following. And, and so you get to this point where they have to spend this time in the wilderness and even in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of God's provision through the manna, in the midst of God's provision uh, to keep them alive. Um, giving them the law, tabernacling himself amongst them. Yeah, they still worship other gods. Yeah, they still go and reject God and reject God. So you see this constant <clears throat> rejection of what God's doing by the Israelites. Yeah, God even, delivers; they reject. Yeah, even though there's been constant deliverance. Yeah. So Stephen has gotten now. He's he's really building his point. It's heating up. Yep. You see see where he's going, and he's pointing out. He's pointing out the work of God and the disobedience of men. Yeah. Which, if we're putting our Jesus lens on as he's That's talking, he's getting. he's getting to that point where you have rejected the Son of God. Right. The deliverer <laughs> of all people. The so capital D. You can start <laughs> to see that coming. And I love the the parallels in the Old Testament to Jesus. Like, yeah. like even Moses. Like as a baby, right? He had to be sent down the river mm. to be saved from being killed. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened to what happened to Jesus? Yeah, Herod wanted he him to killed, and where did they flee? To Egypt. Egypt. It's yeah. so cool to like see these parallels the between the the Savior and the fulfillment of prophecy yeah. and the Deliverer and what God has continued to do for His people. So Stephen's really building a case. Well, they know these things. Even earlier on, they rejected Moses, and they their comment was, "Who made you a king and a judge over us?" It's like, uh, well, God God did. did. (laughs) (laughs) You know, before we move on to the next section, there's so much in that last one we could talk about from 30 to 43. And this seems to be like one of the most heated passages in his sermon. But if you just take into account how Israel's described, like uh, around verse 38 and 39. Let's read it one more time. Um, Well, let's just do verse 39. Our fathers were, what's the word? What's your translation say? Refuse to obey. Refuse to obey. Mine says we're unwilling to be obedient to him. Uh, Mine then goes on to say, but repudiated him. What does yours say? But thrust him aside. Yeah. And then the last phrase, and in their hearts, there's the issue. There's the source. In their hearts, turn back to Egypt. What's yours say? Same thing. Same thing. So, um, and, and then, by the way, when it speaks about the golden calf, It says, at that time they made a calf, verse 41. I'm skipping down a little bit. They made a golden calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. What's your say? Mine also says rejoicing in the work of their hands, which which reminds me of Psalm 90. Yeah. Where Moses asks that that God gives them the work to do with their hands that are of, that's the work of God. So you see this. Moses understanding the work of their hands can be used for God, right? But they're choosing the work of their hands to be used for themselves sure. to make themselves feel good in the moment type of a situation. So thus far, um, I think verse thirty nine really characterizes Israel well: unwilling, repudiating their leaders, turning back in their hearts, and then of course you continue to see God doing for them things for them even in the midst of that. So now we move on. Uh, to verses 44 
all the way to 51, which now we're about to really, really speed through some Old Testament history. Now we're about to get to Joshua and David, just completely skip over like all all the, all the judges. And the, some of the major prophets. I mean, you, you skip over um, uh, Samuel, you, um, you skip over Saul, you know, so it's just like, boom, Joshua, boom, David, boom, Solomon. So you're about, you're about to see that here, <clears throat> if I can talk today. Verse 44, our fathers, there it is again, had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers, there it is again, brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my, my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? So looking at 44 to 51, now we move again through some examples of God delivering and doing things despite the people. Yeah, I see, I see a shift here in 44 to where God resides amongst the people. Yes. Um, we see, and that's, that's the pattern of the history that moves through here. So Moses was given... Uh, the law, but given also the instructions to build the tent or the tabernacle in which the Ark of the Covenant would sit in and all of the rules that go along with that, the laws that go along with that. And so God God is now among his people. And so then it moves forward into Joshua taking right that into the promised land, God protecting them until the days of David. Then David, we know, the king, right? Um, the the warrior, the one who has much favor from God, who in times of battle is extremely faithful to God, yeah. trusts him. We, we know his life, but we also know that there are moments that David also rejects following God. He does. Which results in the punishment of not being able to build yeah. a house for God, yeah. the temple, which then gets passed on to Solomon. Solomon. Uh, who is able to build a house for them. It says, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Yeah. So now we're moving <coughs> about his deliverance into his dwelling place. Mm-hmm. His presence. Where you've seen him, Israel, where he resides, and now we're moving into where he resides now. Yeah, he like, resides in our hearts. In our hearts. Pentecost is, this is post, a yeah. post-Pentecost sermon. Right. So, yeah, so I find it so interesting that we go from history of deliverance, deliverance, deliverance to presence, presence, right, where God has been this whole time, even amongst those who reject him, his own people. Um, I I find it amazing, even subtly, you just, the, the word fathers pops up again, verse 44, fathers, verse 45, fathers, uh, the end of verse 45, fathers again. Uh, David is considered a father. Solomon is considered a father. Um, but there's this movement yet again, and I think that's gonna, 
that's going to build for the final passage here in 51 to 53. You know, you made a comment a moment ago um, that the prophets were skipped over, and they were, but as I'm rereading 51 to 52, um, the prophets are being mentioned at the very end here, Mm -hmm. and I think Stephen did that for a purpose. I heard an analogy the other day on one of my kids' like Bible shows that they watch that the prophets of the Old Testament were like alarm clocks. You know, when you wake up in the morning and your alarm clock goes, it's annoying, right? But it's there to tell you what? To get up, wake up. Wake up, (laughs) right? So the prophets of the Old Testament served like alarm clocks. People of Israel, you need to wake up. God is doing something and you keep resisting. You keep laying in bed. You keep rejecting that alarm clock. Stop it, right? So watch what happens as we we kind of finish in the the final section of you know today's sermon. Verse fifty one You men who are stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Oh, there's a lot. Now, this is where (laughs) we're not reading passage by passage. There's a lot to kind of unpack in 51 to 53. Well, think about what Stephen did. He built his case. Yep. Only stating the facts in which the people who are listening would agree with. This is what happened. This is our history. This is this is what you know to be true. Yeah. And then within a couple sentences, wrecks them. Yeah. By <laughs> by simply saying, "You people of Israel, you have been the ones to reject God." You have been the ones to not receive really his blessing among you, but to reject him and always want something else or something more. You are the ones who have killed the prophets. And what had happened just to Jesus? Yeah. How is this any different than the pattern in which you people have continued to live your lives? Right. I mean, he's just pointing out the fact that this isn't new. God knows it's not new, and you continue to do the same thing. Though you claim, as Pharisees, as chief priests, as all these religious leaders, you claim to follow the law and be so righteous, but see what that righteous self-righteousness has done to you. Yeah. See what it's done to your fathers. It's actually caused them to persecute the one that God sent to deliver you right? and persecute the ones that were sent to warn you. Right. And now, the one who has come to save all, you have done the same thing, and you still reject him, and you still reject the Holy Spirit, it says. Well, the Holy Spirit's been around since forever. The Holy Spirit was around this whole time in the Old Testament. It may not dwelt in the hearts of the believer, but the Holy Spirit was there the whole time. Right. You have rejected what God has done in your life this whole time, so don't stand here and tell me. Right. That you don't know what's going on. Right. Like, what a, what a statement. Like, <laughs> you straight up in a couple sentences just totally says, you fools. Yeah. It's right in front of your face. Like, 
And he didn't do it in a way that was like, like I just said, you fools. But I mean, he called him stiff necked. I mean, he did he did lay out the whole thing in front of them. I mean, he didn't just come out with this first. He didn't say verse 51 to 53 first and then went into the history. He did this whole building up, which I think was shows us a lot about how we should be presenting God's word to people. Absolutely. Um, it's a great example of how we build up the evidence, which is in Scripture, in order to prove what God has done. A great, great point. You know, if you're sitting down and you're using this text to disciple someone else and you're walking through the Scripture, this is how you do it. You don't necessarily have to move so slow on every part and to examine, you know, all the little details. You need to get to the point. And the point is drawn right here. Like, if you, depending on the person you're discipling, they probably need to know some of this Old Testament history. And maybe for that reason, you move slowly, but never aside, never completely aside from the point. Always trying to get to the point as soon as you can still. Um, let's spend a moment on this. First of all, I underline the words, um, you or your, one, two, three, four, five, six times in those three verses, which is how you know he's clearly focusing on them. But let's just look at verse 51. He gives a list, you know, Bible College 101, hermeneutics 101. What's one of the first things that you look for in your Bible study? You look for repetition, you look for comparison and contrast, and you look for lists. So, Let's work through the list of how he describes those who have rejected Jesus. He says, number one, you men who are stiff-necked. I mean, it's kind of like the picture of pride, someone standing you know, up straight and erect and just wants to hear nothing, right? You stiff-necked people, you know, you're, you're unable to like, re- like let go of your pride and relax. You can see the body language. You're unable to let go and to listen. Yeah, there's there's not a, a softness in their heart, no, or a willingness to truly listen to God. It's more of a this is what God has already given us, and so we're going to stand here and not budge from it. Mm-hmm. Well, Israel, what have you done in the past? <laughs> yeah, which is what Stephen's case is built upon. You've chosen to be stiff-necked many times, and where has that gotten you? And so he's he's just calling them what. They've been for hundreds of years. right? Um, so this isn't new, but I, I do, I see it as a heart issue. I mean, it's going to say that in this verse, yep. that there's a heart issue here. They're just unwilling to listen and humble themselves before God and, and you know, really listen to what God has to say in their lives. We do that, I think, as Christians. We can become stiff-necked. Yeah, we can. Where we want to be in control or we know something that's in God's word. And so we, we'd want to twist it to th- something that benefits us and not truly what God's telling us to do. Right. So I, you We've know, all been there. we can fall into the same trap yep. that the, that these guys are, that these guys are in. So I think we have to take this as a word of caution as well in our lives. Well, in first Corinthians 10 would confirm that Paul would say these things that happened in Israel were done as an example for you who believe. So we can make a direct scriptural connection with that point. Um, I think one thing that you continue to see throughout salvation history is people want to stay put. God wants to keep moving. People want to stay put with their story and their plan. God wants to keep moving because he has a plan. And the people of Israel are not listening. And when you don't listen to God, you have to stay put while he, while he keeps moving. And lo and behold... Or he moves you. Or he moves you, <laughs> right? But lo and behold, what are you seeing? 
eventually midway through the book of Acts, and we're going to get there, you're going to see more of an emphasis on Paul, who goes to the Gentiles, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul, who goes to the Gentiles, than you are Peter, who are with the Jews. Yeah. Meaning if you keep rejecting, well, God can keep moving, right? Yep. And that's, that is a warning, right, even to the New Testament church. So, number one, they're stiff-necked. Number two, they are uncircumcised in heart. I don't think this applies to the believer, but nevertheless, it's a, it's still a warning of the hardness of heart to some degree, I, I suppose. But to be uncircumcised in the heart, why would that have been so offensive? Well, I mean, <laughs> circumcision was their, you know, was part of the law, which right. what they were supposed to show yes. who they are as a people. Absolutely. That was the mark of followers of God. Um, was for men to be circumcised. And so if you were uncircumcised in the heart, I think Stephen's really going to salvation here. Yes. Are you going to heaven in the sense of, I don't think you truly know who God is. Right. And that's, I mean, that's what, that's an accusation. You have been unwilling to listen to the one true God. Mm -hmm. You may look on the outside, physically maybe circumcised, but the one thing that's always mattered is your faith in God and you are not willing to hear and that has impacted your heart. Mm-hmm. And so you have been uncircumcised of the heart and of the ear. You have, you've, you're so prideful. You're so, you're, you've become so much of just like a wall. Um, you know, I mean, how many, what other names were these people called from John the Baptist and, <laughs> you know, like you brood of vipers. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that we just see their unwillingness to just call Jesus Lord, mm-hmm. and and that's what makes them uncircumcised in the heart, uh, the unbelievers of who Jesus is. And isn't that the number one issue of human history? Those who call Jesus Lord are saved. Those who don't call Jesus Lord are not saved. It comes down to that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, simple to say, um, and I wish it was as simple. To, I mean. It is as simple as calling him Lord, um, but you can see the even in the people that God chose to be His people, yes, to be the light of the world amongst nations, have become hardened to God's work. That's right. So we have to be careful as the church. Yes, we are the church, and that is really important. But we cannot become like the Israelites in this way. And not all Israelites, plenty of them follow Jesus. Yes, no, that's true. It's not all individuals. It's not the whole nation of yeah. Israel. <laughs> but we can see as a church that we need to not become this. That's right. Where we get to the point where we start rejecting people, mm-hmm. we have, don't have an eyes or a heart that is for Jesus, for people, the lost. Yeah. And we become a people that just draws a hard line. Mm-hmm. We're the church, you're the world. Yeah. Stay out of our church. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be a part of you. Well... I'm not sure that's how we're supposed to function. Yeah. I think there's a... There's we are not to be conformed to the, to the world, world. Right. But we are supposed to be in it. Right. It's going to get messy. That's right. But Jesus wants us to be in it, and he wants us to get messy in it in the sense of go and reach people, even if it results in your persecution, in your martyrdom, go and be a disciple of Jesus. And so... Israel's unwilling to do that. Mm-hmm. They just put Jesus to death. <laughs> They're not really standing up for something that's going to get them killed necessarily. So I just see they're not following now the Lord who has come, who has died on the cross, who has been resurrected, who has ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit has come. They now have to put their faith in Jesus. 
I just kind of realized something. Um, you just made a comment about how they are not now following the Lord. In fact, you know, there's always been a faithful remnant, but they as a nation just never had. We don't need to get into specifics, but do you and I know of people who have been close in the Christian community who either, you know, maybe they were at least a part of the culture or maybe they did proclaim to follow the Lord at one point and now they're not? And and what's your reaction to those people? How do you feel about those people today? Um, I mean, first I feel... I mean, sad is sad is as a very small word for a big feeling. Yeah. Um, I, it's one of those things where you, they were right there to really know who Jesus was and they've chosen to fall away and that's eternal consequences. Yes. And so that's why sad is a, a really small word with a really big feeling because I just, I weep or grieve. That's right. For them. Um, because that's the first thing I think. I don't think, oh, foolish person right away. I go, I really grieve the decision that you made, and I hope that you turn back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is it is tough. I want to. I want them to come back. Mm-hmm. My desire isn't to build a wedge. You know, if they keep building a wedge, that's on them. Sure. But my desire is not to build a wedge. It's to continue conversation and to continue building relationships, um, continue going after people um, at all costs. I think, it, you know, Spurgeon writes a lot about that. Like, are you really going after people with all of your heart and your soul? Are you really trying to reach people? Is that truly your life as a follower? Mm-hmm. And I think those people who have fallen away, we still have an, op- we still have an obligation, uh, a command to reach those people as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, we see here Israel falling away from the one true God uh, who has sent the Messiah and is now, you know, Yes, salvation is by faith alone, but it is in Christ alone. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And now Israel has to make that decision. I believe in the one true God. I believe they believe in Yahweh, but they're missing the Son. But they don't trust. They don't trust mm-hmm. in Him anymore. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a Stephen's calling out their salvific uh, place in life at yeah. this moment. Well. Your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. I mean, my wife and I have a loved one in our life. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But it's someone just in our family that we love very much. But it saddens us because this individual now wants nothing to do with the faith. Nothing at all. Like nothing. When, you know, maybe 10 years ago, five years ago even, it would have been a little bit different. Um, But you kind of look at where people are at in today's world who were so close to Jesus or, you know, were at least in the community of Jesus followers where they were probably more primed to get saved than before because at least they were hearing God's word on a weekly basis, you hope, or not. (laughs) But I think one of the difficulties is when those people go astray, what they display is now they become stiff-necked, prideful, uncircumcised in heart, resisting of the Holy Spirit, and um, that's a shame. So I think Stephen is preaching the truth, and the truth is going to cost him his life. So that's next week's episode. Um, I don't know where you want to go from here, but I think this is a good stopping point. Yeah, I mean, just continuing just for a moment on, you know, he's he's calling out their, their heart issue. Um, and then he's talking about the result of that harsh heart issue that's happened to the prophets. 
um, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Yeah, none of them. Um, and they killed uh, those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. So any of those who have talked about the Messiah, you killed, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you will receive the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Oh, that's something I didn't catch before. Ooh, right? Like God's hey, word was given to you from angelic beings. You didn't even keep that. No. and well, Supernaturally given. Well, and even in that moment, what are they still trying to keep? Yeah. The law, which they will can't. We not already, in their own person. Not in their own person. So, yeah, I mean, you've even prior to Jesus coming, you couldn't keep it. That's why there was a sacrificial system. Right. Now that Jesus has come, you're going to reject the ultimate sacrifice that frees you from that sacrificial system that allows you to live out the law in your heart and to love people and truly be a light Israel, a nation to go reach people, and you're rejecting that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> Stephen is essentially <laughs> saying, How are you missing it? You've truly hardened your hearts to who, who God really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back to Pharaoh in Egypt. He had hardened his heart. plenty of opportunity Can you imagine? to turn to God. Can you imagine telling an Israelite, You're the same as Pharaoh? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, how are you any different? You've turned away from the God who has delivered you mm-hmm. and called you to repent and has given you saviors, mm-hmm. heroes of the faith, and you've rejected them yeah. and you've rejected God. Yeah. So next week we will get into the result of Stephen's bold claims about the truth, and that will finish out chapter seven, um, you know, maybe even get into chapter eight where we actually start uh, getting introduced to Saul, uh, who is Paul. Uh, but I think uh, I just encourage you, this is one of those chapters that could be very difficult to walk through if you don't have Old Testament history. Don't be intimidated by a chapter like this. If you need to take it slow, take it slow because you need to some some history. Uh, you know, there's some great resources out there. One's Blue Letter Bible uh, online. They do a great job. They do a great walkthrough. Um, they, if you go to commentaries for this passage and go to David Guzik, he does simple outlines that gives you the everything you need to know to, to interpret this passage. You, they do the work for you. Yeah. Even though it's good to learn the tools of biblical interpretation, sometimes we just need a good outline to help us walk through this, especially in one-to-one Bible reading. Even Thomas Constable's notes on any book in the Bible, type in Thomas Constable notes. Thomas Constable's notes, and then you're gonna, you'll be able to click on any book of the Bible yeah. with hundreds of pages per book of notes he's taken verse by verse. It's incredible. Yeah, these are free resources online that we check on a regular basis as we're studying. Um, And so please check those out as you're reading through passages like this. They will really help you. Uh, We just continue to pray for you as you listen. Our church body, Ottawa Bible Church, if you're ever in the area, uh, please check us out in Ottawa, Kansas. Uh, But we pray that you're continuing to disciple others and also being discipled. Make sure somebody is sitting down with you. Uh, and discipling you as well. Have a blessed week, and uh, we can't wait to get back on next week.